Hello, welcome back everyone. Welcome back to The Handmaid's Podcast. This is episode 7, titled After. After what? After a really big episode 6. After bombing. After bombing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so thanks for hanging on. Um, last week, um, the episode uh, audio was really wonky, but we're here, we're back in action, everything sounds great. So thanks for hanging on with us and returning for episode 7. We had uh, some fan mail this week, and uh, first up, uh, we have Baba Mincima from Washington, D.C. Um, and she writes, hi there, just wanted to say first that I love this podcast and I'm a faithful listener. Thanks. <laughs> um, it's definitely the highlight of my podcast week. Oh, Which is amazing. Warm feelings. Um, I'm a little wor- worried, however, that the reality of race and race relations as explored in the podcast, it seems you all are getting listener feedback about this, but haven't managed to work it into um, any kind of meaningful discussion. Why is that? This week's podcast, First Blood, made much of the Serena Joy talk scene where someone calls her a Nazi, which I believe the audience can perhaps attribute to something in her writings or talks with out there being an explicit footnote as to how she earned that label. Lest we forget, Nazis did more than persecute Jewish people. They also attacked gender traitors, quote-unquote, people of color and disabled folks, as well as, uh, God forbid, you happen to have all these intersecting identities. Mm -hmm. At the end of the discussion, the point was made that there was a handful of black or brown commanders present in the Rachel and Leah Center scene, Mm -hmm. and I could understand what point was being made exactly lastly i think it's worth mentioning here that all glenn number two the suicide bomber is a woman of color those are my thoughts thanks for the work you do thank you for your um thoughtful comments i think um that is a super important um point um that the whole nazi regime and hitler uh was predominantly of course the atrocities against you know, the Jewish people as a whole during that period of time. But she is absolutely right. And it is important that, you know, we um, address that and, Mm -hmm. you know, reinforce the point that, yes, it is definitely against a wider swath of people, people who didn't fit the very narrow Aryan race description were basically, yeah, persecuted against during that time. Um, So, yeah. So what do you think about her comments? I think um, Abigail was saying, you know, we do kind of circle around topics and we stretch, uh, not necessarily stretch, but we address certain topics, um, like a continuing conversation from episode to episode. So sometimes we don't always thread them all through yeah, together. Yeah, and I think correctly. what happened last time, like Kate said earlier, that, you know, there was so much to talk about in this one episode that we, we didn't <laughs> want to make it been two, hours. two hours. <laughs> I had a hard enough time getting it down to a minute 15, y'all. I know. <laughs> I know. Okay, so, but, I, okay, I, I hear you. I really mm-hmm. do. And I think, you know, you're right that we didn't discuss that, you know, it's about gender traders and it's about a whole swath of different kinds of people that don't fit into this perfect little box that she's created. And I do think that we, you know, reference the fact that whatever's in her book, for some reason, labeled her a Nazi. And I think I remember saying that I wanted to read that part of the book, mm-hmm. labeling her as a fascist and a Nazi. Like, I want to understand exactly what she wrote to make these people so outraged. Like, how did she structure, you know, policy in her book? Um, but then when it comes to, you know, talking about oh, how there were black or brown um commanders in that last scene mm-hmm. well that relates back to back in the um when she was at the university and everyone was yelling at her and we were trying to figure out the structure of things and we were having that talk about you know uh, what are the rules of the society that she's laying out right. and we, we were talking you know where do people of color lay in that whole realm and we were trying to figure it out and we were having a discussion you know what we 
we know that there's, you know, black handmaids. We know that there's, um, you know, Martha's of different color. Mm-hmm. Are there commanders of different color? And we didn't know the answer to that. And that's why when we finally saw the picture in that final scene that we saw um, a couple, a handful of commanders that were not white, mm-hmm. that we pointed that out is because, you know, somehow, somewhere, someone that wasn't white ended up at a high level of prestige, even though she's being called a Nazi. I think right. that's where we were going with it. And we just really forgot to make that connection for you guys. Make it really clear. Yeah. Because here's the thing. Absolutely, um, there is oppression of, um, of non-white people in this particular society. But here's the thing. While Hitler was very into um, maintaining the pure Aryan blood, I, I really think that it's, a, a, it's telling to a certain extent about how catastrophic this birth drop-off has been that they don't really seem to care, at least in the show. The mm-hmm. book was a little bit more iffy about um, the inclusion of people um, of handmaids of hand, whether there were any handmaids of color. Um, but at least on the show, they are including black and brown and um, Asian and various other types of handmaids because they have to have the more important thing is did these people give birth to healthy babies um so i think that that is the primary thing about which people are being oppressed they're being oppressed because they are women with viable wombs mm-hmm. um so and of course then there are the people of lower socioeconomic status the the econo people um who are being oppressed in a different way, but then, you know, um, people of lower socioeconomic status are always oppressed by people with more money and power than they have. So, um, but no, I mean, those are, those are terrific points because, um, yeah, while it is definitely possible that they are calling her a Nazi because she may have suggested in her book that we should, that they should focus on healthy white children mm-hmm. um since those are always in high demand even now um, mm-hmm. in terms of adoption so but we don't know that we didn't read the book we have know nothing about the book um all we can do is go by what is actually going on so even if she did say that that's certainly not how it, w- it worked out so it's possible that serena's book actually said something about um preferring white babies but we don't know that we haven't read the book we've never seen it we can only really go by the way that things actually worked out which is that if you're a woman with a viable womb um they want you even if even to the point of having to bring people back from the colonies which i guess we'll talk about um a little bit later on um so yeah i mean i i think it's a it's a really great point that um there's all of this oppression going on, but you know I think we need to be very um, very careful about where we suggest that it's it's stemming from because you know at least in the text of this show right it's it seems to be more women with viable wombs than it does anybody else really I did um, make um, a distinction that 
especially throughout the course of this last episode, episode seven, uh, that even though that there are um, people of color who were um, in the upper echelons, like as commanders or part of the brotherhood, okay. there are no women there. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, the <laughs> highest um, uh, position a woman is in the current um, show is uh, Aunt Lydia. She's able mm-hmm. to read and write, and she has a lot of sort of agency and makes lots of decisions and is is very forceful with a lot of her will and and most people tend to give in to her willfulness because she acts on this uh behalf of uh god mm-hmm. <laughs> really you know she is sort of like there are really no priests in this show but i would argue well, they, she's they, were. they killed them all the, yeah <laughs> In terms of like the Gilead as a religion, right. quote mm-hmm. unquote, or as a theocracy, mm-hmm. I would I would argue that um, Aunt Lydia is sort of like the allegorical equivalent of that. You know, she sort mm-hmm. of keeps this moral center, and therefore she has a lot of power. I think that's the highest that any any woman really is. So there are male commanders of who happen to also be of color. There was a smattering of them, but there are absolutely no women of power at all. No. You know. Yet. Yet. Well, because a woman's power power is in the home, Mm -hmm. raising the children and taking care of the house. Episode 7 is really interesting because a lot of it does take place within the household. And a lot of this plotting and scheming does take place within the uh, house. Um, We do open with this uh, gorgeous scene. (laughs) Gorgeous. It's like so somber and sad. I'm sorry. but It really was beautiful. No, but it's beautiful. Oh, my God. Um, The director of photography, the cinematographer for this episode, Zoe uh, White. Can we also talk about whoever designed their costumes? Anne Crabtree. Oh, my God. Brilliant. Because Brilliant. just when I thought I knew all of the costumes, nope, we got morning sets. We <laughs> <laughs> did, and they and they were really beautiful. I mean, obviously with like the color signifiers and the classes of people in these uh, these and colors, the, the the way that they cover their faces, and it was mm-hmm. just this thin fabric, but it completely covered their faces, and it was very simple pull off, and it was just like a, it looked like the tiniest little bit of fabric, but it was enough, and it did exactly what it was supposed to do, and it was just. A little accent to the rest of the wardrobe. If you watch the uh, show on Hulu, I know you can watch it uh, a few different places, but if you watch it on Hulu, there is like a little like one minute um, behind the scenes um, snippet um, after each episode under the extras tab. And the um, executive producer of the show, Warren Littlefield, called um, this uh, beginning sequence visual poetry, which yes. I was, it's so apt. It absolutely is. The DP cinematographer, Zoe White, and the director for this episode is uh, Carrie Skoland, and she also um, directed episodes three and four, Baggage and Other Women, and she's also going to be directing episode eight. Um, so we'll see her Ooh. work again next episode. And uh, I noticed she has a thing about circles, these concentric circles. I dig it, though. <laughs> I really dig it. This is a little bit of her signature that I, I picked up on there. But, yes, yeah, so we have this very somber um, event happening. And Aunt Lydia is very emotional and upset. And you really get, you know, she Aunt Lydia cares, loves them. cares for these women. And um, she, she broke them down and built them back up in her image. Like, she cares about them. She does. <laughs> Um, she says this interesting quote. I feel like a lot of the quotes in this episode is just filled with irony. Mm-hmm. A lot of irony. Um, and this is the first of the set. Um, Aunt Lydia says, I wish I could give you a world without violence, without pain. 
and you're just like, Says well. the woman who shocks me, <laughs> well, burns me, <laughs> almost me. hangs me. <laughs> yeah. But you, I, I think the beauty of the writing and the, the building of the characters in this show is like, you, I feel so much for her in this moment. And also like, I can totally see this, this clashing of like what you say and like what is like the actual effect of your actions on the people around you. And, yeah. and, and it's just this interesting, complicated moment in this interesting, complicated character, you know, played by, you know, the incomparable Anne Dowd, who's fabulous. Um, but I also appreciated how, you know, in this moment with the circles, they got to touch each and every one of the coffins. The coffins were red, which I loved. Even the coffins were freaking red. Yeah. Like, you don't get to escape it in this world. So they get to t- touch each and every one. It's, it's like they were trained back in the Red Center. If someone dies, this is how we handle mm-hmm. it. Like, it was very ballet-esque. Ceremonial. Everything sort of has a ceremony and, and rhythm and, and cadence to it. But the mm-hmm. women, the handmaids were allowed to grieve. They were allowed to cry and be upset. And I thought that was nice. For once, they were allowed to show emotion and not pain for it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We do get like some concrete information, which I appreciate. Um, the writers uh, like to not keep too many balls up into the air, which mm-hmm. I like. Um, so definitively, 26 commanders were killed and 31 handmaids. Yes, that's quite a lot. We finally got some numbers, guys. Mm-hmm. I find it interesting that, um, you know, there were more handmaids harmed than commanders, but the fact that they hit the commanders so hard is really important for whomever is organizing this little resistance here. I don't, yeah, I, the math doesn't make sense to me either, because she was in the heart of the room with all of the commanders. The handmaids on the second floor, yes, they could not escape, but the handmaids on the first floor, they were running for their lives. They were out of blast. Like, they probably got hurt, not killed. But the second floor, there's no way. There was, what, 37? 31? How many? 31 on the second floor, and they all died. Because, I mean, no one on the first floor did for the handmaids. They were all off, and they were Mm -hmm. running. They were fine. They were going to be hurt, but they were going to be fine. Mm -hmm. But she was in the center of the room on the first floor with all the commanders. How did you not kill more? I don't get it. How was Fred alive? Depends on the size of the the explosive. Okay, but then how did she kill the handmaids? Like, if it was larger, and the more handmaids would not have died. Yeah. They did destroy a lot of building, so things could have fallen on people. They would have been crushed on the second floor. My point is still held, though. How are more commanders not dead? Oh. This math does not add up, guys. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, guys. There's an interesting moment here when they are um, coming back from the funeral, and someone asks, I think it's June, who says, you know, does someone know what her name was, like her real name? And, yeah. like, nobody knew. And uh, I thought that was an interesting moment because it is, like, their names being stripped of your names and having this patronymic that, you know, you don't even, you're owned by someone, like your name is to be owned by whomever is the male patriarch of that household. And so their real names are very precious. And, you know, we hold on to, you know, these, these names as secrets throughout like the first season before these names really start cropping up. And she doesn't even know of Glenn's name. And I think that was like a really, uh, a sadness, like a, you know, gosh, this, this woman who, gave her life like 
she created all this destruction like and no one we knows have, what her real name is yeah we have all of these mixed feelings about her and really like her true identity we don't know yeah. it's um uh and then it's uh really shocking so there's definitely some um what's it called you know when you're like um on a witch i guess a witch hunt and so there's like <laughs> yeah. hangings in front of houses people hangings from trees in front of houses uh, houses, Marthas, and drivers, and things like that, and well, it's really—they uh, killed um, Offland's entire family. Yeah, well, I thought that was commander's pretty, family. Yeah. yeah, I thought that was pretty shocking. I but, didn't expect that at all. Yeah, and just because they don't know who they can trust, so they just kill anyone that's remotely related. Commander Cushing seems to be the most uh, dangerous out of anyone that we've met thus far, and it becomes really clear. I, I feel like the 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 tone of this episode. Um, even though at the end I called it like this was a feel good episode, we had like some really nice things happening. I was like, yeah. Um, <laughs> but throughout the most of the episode, this really played to me personally as like a thriller. Like we really knew who the dangerous person was and we didn't know what this person, uh, was going to do. And we know that they're capable of doing really severe, harsh, you know, things without regard to, you know, Circum pomp and circumstance and all those things like right. that sort of held up Gilead beforehand. Like a lot of this structure and manners, and I'm I'm sort of forgetting the the word of it, but this um, ritual, yeah, ritual, mm -hmm. um, status quo. I want to say protocol, protocol, yeah, all those things. So it's a different ball game now. You know, Alvin has changed the game, and um, so the next scene we see Fred is alive. I put a sad face. Fred is alive. Sad face. And also I wrote, oh shit, Commander Price is dead. <laughs> and you can see that Nick obviously is upset because Nick had a lot riding on Commander Price as his ticket yeah, out no of this. Mm -hmm. And so now that fallback is Commander gone. Commander Price was the one, let's just review, put him into Fred's home to spy on Fred for him. But you can argue that I think a lot of eyes are spies i think most no, of them I'm, are i'm sure you know, they are but I'm there's a spy in probably in every house because how else do they know whom to prosecute and whom you know what secrets they find out if someone in the house is not telling everybody secrets, right but you the know? relationship that he had that nick had specifically with commander andrew price was one that was a little bit more friendship and touchy than i would expect a normal eye and commander relationship to be yeah, in the flashbacks in season one, we see that Nick has, like, a previous, um, you know, sort of this, like, mentorship with Commander Price and, you know, sort of takes him under his wing. So they have this sort of, like, fatherly son or, like, mentor-mentee kind of relationship. Um, so, yeah, they do have a closeness, which I think would, is, is not um, common with other people who he is, uh, employs as spies. Which is probably why he had so much pull, how, you know, he made one request and he immediately he was just like done um we go back to the colonies and we see janine and emily taken by the eyes so we're like oh god, what yes. the hell is happening there oh my god mike called it it comes in threes okay so janine said that she was saved by god two times and that if it was god's will she would survive again mike said however many episodes ago what was it two episodes ago mm -hmm. that um all this comes in threes, and I was like, you are right, so how is she going to survive again? Because she's just missed, like, dandelion poof. And, <laughs> and then, looky here, poof, she's going right on back. It comes in threes. She's been saved for the third time. 
I, I have to say, I love Janine. I'm so Thank glad she's staying. But here's the, here's the thing. Because what, what this makes me, but I just look at her sometimes and go, because it's one of those things where you both love her and you also go, oh, honey. Yeah. <laughs> Who bounces up? In a completely quiet store, <laughs> throws her arms around somebody and goes, Hi! <laughs> <laughs> Who does that? Only our precious, precious Janine. Only our precious baby Janine. Janine's brain is very, very She's broken. She's fried and it's amazing. It's hysterical. And I'm so glad they're keeping her around for comedic relief, if nothing uh, between, else. Between Janine and Alma. Oh, oh my um, god. Well, you know, um we find out that in the in the last scene when they're naming the my favorite um comedic relief character um is named Dolores and they <laughs> even there's a moment where someone like Laugh. makes fun of her name and she was like it was my grandmother's <laughs> name. <laughs> I think she's definitely pegged as the uh, she's the one in uh, with the line in like the first season and she was like I think I went to a botnitzva here once. <laughs> She was like, whatever, I'm going home. Like, she's, she always has something uh, very uh, funny to say. Yeah. Um, so she, I think she's been the designated funny person. She has a lot of person. one-liners. Yeah, she has the great one-liners. Uh, yeah, I mean, how desperate do they have to be? I mean, okay, granted, um, 31 handmaids is a lot, a lot of handmaids. It's a lot of deaths, guys. Um, but how desperate do you have to be? That you go out to the colonies they and, got grab, and grab, like, people who've been messing around in nuclear waste for the last however many yeah, months they've been Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, they there. have a level of radiation poisoning at this point. They need treatment. Yeah, especially Emily. Emily's been there for a hot second, and we mm-hmm. saw in one of the previous episodes, like, her teeth are starting to fall out. So she's definitely affected, yeah. but, like, even that, they're like, ah, fuck it. We need handmaids, right? So we get to Miss um, Tapping, who's sort of the head of this, like, refugee bureau here in, like, Little America kind of refugee city. Um, and uh, Luke sort of, uh, Luke and Moira are there, and um, Moira's freaking the freak out. And Luke is just, like, has this weird nonchalantness. That is really strange to me. And she was like, no, I just have faith that June's alive. Like, I feel he's a little disconnected. I don't know if that's like a yeah, defense mechanism him. or if that's just him. I mean, it, I don't doubt that he doesn't care about June and her her well-being and her whereabouts. But there is this like, a very distinct difference of the type of worry that Moira has and the, the lack of worry that Luke seems to have. I think Luke is just being kind of zen about the whole thing. Because much like Janine, I don't know if if Luke believes in God or whatever, Mm -hmm. but he was supposed to be dead. He was supposed to be dead a couple times. (laughs) And he's in Canada. And not only did he make it to Canada, but Moira made it to Canada. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, okay, if we can get here and Moira was in a brothel, yeah. You know, being with, with commanders in there all the time and, and aunts with cattle prods and all kinds of other stuff. And we both got here, then certainly June can get mm-hmm. here. So I, don't, I just think he's, he's just decided he's going to be hopeful until yeah. he has a reason not to be. Yeah. I mean, there's even that somber moment when she's just like, don't you want to know if she's okay? And he, he's just like, she's not. Yeah. I mean, that, that, was, that was a very real moment. 
Yeah. And it took I'd me aback. His response definitely took me back. I'm like, I'm he's right. You can't deny the man. I mean, she's not all right, no matter how you cut the cake. But I mean, he feels deep down that that she's alive. Like he can mm-hmm. feel yeah. it, and she and he and he hangs on to that feeling, and he believes that feeling, and he lives that feeling. Exactly. So it's sort of like you know, I need to you know live my life and like right, you and, and sort of kind of thing. You can't stop your life just because you don't know where she is, or spend like every second and every single moment you in will agony and worry. Destroy yourself if yeah. that's how you live your life. And I think he's doing a very good job of living his life until she gets there. Yeah, that's I think all you can do. Yeah, I think Kate said it best like this sort of zen that he's sort of worked on which is and, good and he sort of had that personality you know throughout the series mm-hmm. anyway where he's just like, this very calm cool collected like, dude yeah, like even remember <laughs> when he had to sign for that paperwork for the birth control and he was like oh that's what we're doing now okay <laughs> yeah there were very few yeah. moments in the flashbacks where he he is upset one of them was uh when he was sort of yelling at the voicemail of his ex-wife for bothering june mm-hmm. so he does have triggers and we know that he can get you know upset and he does you know is capable of lots of varying emotions obviously especially we dedicated that one whole episode to his journey yeah. um mm-hmm. after he was shot and separated from june and hannah so so yeah, I just, I don't know why in that moment I thought that I was like, that's a little strange. But uh, so we um, get to our uh, flashback of Moira and she is um, sort of signing paperwork and she is going to be a surrogate. So she is going to have um, a child for a couple who is going to uh, then adopt that child and she's getting paid $250,000 to do it. And this is very, um, definitely more common uh, nowadays, you know, um, either implanting embryos. There's like mm-hmm. lots of different ways of, of surrogacy and, you know, there's like a whole e- economy and, and lots of things around it. I'm not super well versed in, in a lot of the different forms, but it is, you know, a fairly you know, accessible option for, um, for people with infertility. I mean, if you right. are struggling with infertility, all treatments and kind of all options are, are, very, are fairly expensive to, you know, I would say, you know, a lot of people, but. Surrogacy is not typically $250,000. No. Quarter of a mil? Hell no. But yeah, so we are dealing with this infertility crisis. So those who, so you can see how like it would, they would definitely shift the economy in people's favors and and be able to do that. So Supply and demand And these people came all the way from the UK. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or whatever it is at that point, because post-Brexit, but point being, (laughs) came from, came from England. Yeah. Um, to get this baby. So, I mean, you know, it's clearly not just us it's right. not like right. you know just the u.s that's no, it, this is, issue. it is a worldwide issue she goes um miss tapping lets her go into this sort of file room and i didn't have a like the good descriptor i just wrote like room of the dead slash like you know what is that like a uh, grave of the unknown soldier kind mm-hmm. of thing like yeah. like and and then there was like the whole the whole section with of the white children section. the white section oh so children. sad and then she mentions her fiance which i was like what so they've added a plot point here that Moira okay. had a fiance and her fiance's name is Odette. And so she, I guess she was rounded up in um, sort of these raids. Like they, they had rounded up certain types of people um, as a collective in, in sort of the pr- either pre-Gilead or like very early Gilead days mm-hmm. where, where they did this. So they just have these binders and binders and eventually she opens it up and we have just pictures of those who they found deceased. Um, killed and um it's really chilling to me to have you know these pictures 
It took me aback. I, okay, so when she first said my girlfriend, my fiance, I thought she meant June. Like, let me look at the pictures to find June. And then they started showing this flashback of this woman and then their relationship. And I was like, oh, maybe they really, there was more than just June. Like, it, I wasn't, yeah. I did not fully understand the concept until, like, the end. No, she mm-hmm. said something to, to Miss Tapping because Miss Tapping turned to her to say, to, to be like, along the lines of, Moira, I can't do this again. She goes, no, no, this time, oh, and that was what I wanted to say. Um, because if you listen to the names that they read at the end of the episode, mm-hmm. Odette didn't die like ages ago. Odette died in the bombing. No. Odette Johnson, they read her name while she was walking up there to put the picture down on the yeah, so that, on the shrine. Again, that's why I thought that she said, you know, girlfriend, fiance, to try and figure out if June was involved in the bombing, if June was killed in the bombing. I thought she was lying to get firsthand knowledge. I'm going to look that up because I... That was a cover. Okay, so I disagree that, like, she's trying to figure out if June is in part of the bombing or not because she... I don't think she knows what happened to Odette because she said Odette was round up rounded up in the uh, pre like early gilead days she mm-hmm. said before the war yeah right. before the war and so i don't think that she was aware whether odette was alive or not mm-hmm. and so and and they wouldn't have any like pictures of like who died or anything like that i don't think that they would have any way of knowing that like because they they had the names and stuff like that but uh, to get like a picture of their like dead bodies like in all that mm-hmm. chaos like i don't think that would compute do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. I don't, I don't know. It's very confusing at this point. I agree. I mean, but I... I here's the thing. They, the, the writers are so careful. They, they, they know what they're doing. You, we just don't you would it. not throw a name that you have been using the entire episode right. in at the end, right before Moira puts a picture down, if she was not, in fact, among the dead handmaids. You are so observant, because I really did not catch Odette Johnson and make that connection. I really didn't. I so. either. I put it to you, if you're listening, what you think. If mm-hmm. uh, Yeah, because I am unconvinced. If that is the <laughs> same Odette, it makes sense and I'm but confused. i'm gonna have to like rewatch it and uh recogitate on that matter um because so i didn't i i'm undecided whether that's the same person or not i mean it very well may could be it ha- okay it has to be the same person but what doesn't make sense is why that picture of her laying on the ground is assumably dead she's wearing normal people clothing yeah like where did that picture come from i don't know exactly it doesn't make sense yeah that's so, why something's amiss. I'm I'm confused. Was she playing dead on a Tuesday? I don't know. Okay. Well, no. so the the major <laughs> plot mm-hmm. point um, of these flashbacks is that Moira was pregnant to have this surrogate. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, Which makes a whole lot more sense to me now as to why they wanted her in the first exactly. place. Exactly. Yep. Even Ooh. given her gender traitorcy. Exactly. And so the the first really um, charged scene we get of Alfred and Commander Cushing is, um, you know, Rita doesn't want to leave June with him. Like, Rita is so nervous, you know? And for Rita to, like, Rita, for Rita not to, like, follow an order immediately and just be like, all right, peace out, bye. And like she's, she knows something. She, she's really scared of this guy. And so 
you know, another set of, uh, next in the set of ironic lines in this episode is, uh, Commander Cushing goes, you know, I'm concerned about what kind of world we will leave the next generation, like our children. Ah. And I was like, oh, really? Sure <laughs> Interesting. Um, and so we get to this um, major revelation that he either knows or doesn't believe that uh, June ran away. And sh- he wants info on the underground slash May Day, if May Day is still around. If mm-hmm. he knows that her runaway wasn't actually runaway, I want to know how many other people actually know this. True. Because right. if he doesn't buy it and he knew mm-hmm. for sure, then wouldn't she, he just, like, take them all out and, like, execute them? So he's, like, trying to yeah, confirm know. his suspicions, maybe? That, to me, is unclear. But that, to me, was yeah. like, oh. Well, like, that's why I also thought when they had that, when, when uh, June had that moment with Serena saying, he didn't believe me. Not once did they say what really happened. She said, you just have to keep telling him what or keep telling him the story. Keep telling him the story. They never change their words. They're very, very careful about what they say. Almost as if, you know, they might be bugged. Well, she insists, you know, in her conversation with Commander Cushing that, um, you know, she was taken against her will and she sticks to that. But she's visibly shaken. And obviously, um, what happens next, you know, and Amartha... honestly, strictly speaking, at least initially... She was taken against her will. Because yeah. remember, they, she followed the little mm-hmm. red dots yeah. down the stairs, and then and somebody scooped know. her up and threw her in the back of the truck. She didn't know where she was going. She That's had no very clue. True. That's very true. That's very true. So she's not entirely lying. That's how you fool then, lie detector tests, when he asked, is you convince yourself yeah. that you're telling the truth. And then he asks, you know, where did you go? I don't know. She didn't know. Mm-hmm. She didn't know where all she went. She didn't I know think, the people she saw. I think that is like the uh, successful part of how they handled her situation of her getting to of her um, getting out was and and I think the bread truck driver unfortunately he you know was uh, executed for his actions but something he mentions is you know he doesn't know anything except for his little root of what he's supposed to do and that is to protect you know and Kay's mentioned this before too and you know, the, the, the underground for, um, you know, during the civil war and escaping slavery, you know, it's a way to protect, you know, not to poison the entire line. And so for her to say, you know, she, she really doesn't know she is not lying, Yeah. but she's obviously visual, visibly shaken. And of course, you know, the next thing that happens, you know, there's just a poor Martha shot in the street, in the street. And, uh, she is really affected by that. And so Alfred gets, to the hospital i guess you know they made her go to the hospital to go see fred because fred wants to see the baby and um you know alfred uh gets to see nick and so they're having an exchange and to me there's this allegorical moment where she was like you know she was just reaching for her past she didn't do anything Mm -hmm. and she was shot in cold blood and i I was like well You know, that's definitely indicative of a lot of what's happening. There, Baba, there's one of your racial yeah. um, parallels. Yeah, it was definitely a parallel. <clears throat> I, I definitely caught that. And so I, uh, to see her so upset, you know, one thing that struck me about this episode is no matter what happens in the show, uh, all the tragedy that happens, 
I'm sorry if this is cliche to say, but like it all feels like really real and very present for all the characters. Because mm-hmm. I feel a lot of time when you have a lot of death and destruction and violence, it kind of glosses over it. Like, oh, all these people died. Okay, moving on. And so you really yeah, like think The Walking Dead. Yeah, Game and of Thrones. Yeah, yeah, it's uh to me like to see these characters so deeply affected by their loss and their tragedy. It really does bring that realness. Like, oh crap. Like, oh you know we were all four of Glenn running towards um, Fred and killing all these commanders, but then all these handmaids died, and look how this is really tragic, and that was not a good thing, and so now we're kind of, you know, we're kind of split down the middle, whether that was a good action or not, because she killed a lot of handmaids, her sisters, and so I think the show does a good job of keeping that present, and that these things are not one-sided or the other, they're not black and white. These actions are not good or bad. They are and, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there's a line in Into the Woods about that. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yes, there is. <laughs> there is a Sondheim for everything. There is a Sondheim for everything. So she warns Nick of Cushing because they're all, I mean, Nick is the most vulnerable now because he's without Commander Price. Uh-huh. And um, I think I just love that scene when she's she's walking away from Nick, leaving the hospital, and I'm like, oh, the fire's back. The fire has returned. We were concerned that the fire was gone forever, but no, it is back. You can see her really burning, like with all this emotion and mm-hmm. and just sort of this determination. Like this person is a threat, and we cannot let this person. This person will undo all of us if we do not do something. Mm-hmm. And which they actually had a, a really. Um, but I mean, by the end of the episode, he's taken care of. Yeah. Well, what was the uh, the thing that that Serena said? She said, "Well, he wouldn't dare, you know, with come here and and um, come into Fred's house and do all of this." And, and then the she said, like, "Fred's not here." Yes. yes. And so that scene with uh, Serena and Alfred in the kitchen, and uh, you had made a. <laughs> Uh, a status on this on your Facebook and you're like the baby needs Twinkies <laughs> compromising here that, that, that killed me you know, go, oh, to bed, go to bed the baby needs sleep well right now the baby needs Twinkies but we're, we're compromising, compromising. <laughs> Serena uh, just goes straight for the alcohol under the string she knows where it is now Rita showed her yeah. where it was and yeah. she just goes straight for it yeah. And I love this Serena just being so candid. And she's like, oh, I freaking hate this dude. Like, he was, we knew him from before, and he was a blowhard then, and power doesn't suit him. And so she she really knows that this guy is just really, like, she really dislikes this guy from even before. So even now, she's, like, very on guard. And um, this is where we find out that, you know, Commander Deeds, which is the the household that Ovlin was, his whole household was ob- uh, executed for what Ovlin did, which I think is really, to me, I was like, oh, Jesus, that's, sh- ugh, that's not good. But to me, actually, at first pass of this scene, I was like, oh, June is playing this as her upper hand. And it wasn't until the later scenes, I was like, oh, no, okay, they use this to, like, be in together. Mm-hmm. But at first, at first pass, my first impression was like, oh, she's using this as a threat to Serena, that if she you know, doesn't get what she wants, then she's going to tell Commander Cushing about, I you know, see that. something. No. I didn't get that. 
that was my first impression. Then I was like, oh, I'm wrong. I'm glad I'm wrong. <laughs> I and think so much so much crap has hit the fan at this point, you know, mm-hmm. with the, the sirens going up and down the street at all hours and people getting shot in the streets yeah. and people hanging off of everywhere. I think at this point it's like, you know what? We, we got we to gotta pull together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, genuinely believe that that scene was her being like, and what do I do, Serena? Yeah. <laughs> the next flashback we get is of Moira at Lamaze class, and um, June is her partner um, doing that. And I just thought oh she was God. like... Frankie Moira. Can, can, she's like, I'm get an your ex- knee out of my back. I was like, I'm an exhausted, constipated whale. <laughs> and I laugh because I've never had children. I apologize to you because I know if you have uh, been pregnant and had children, that's that how you felt. Exactly. I apologize for laughing at your expense right and now. June's like, it gets better. But Eventually, you'll then. laugh and you'll pee a little. <laughs> Joys of pregnancy and motherhood. <laughs> And there's this uh, great exchange that happens between them, like just a, another really great moment about like the, the testimony really of like the strength of their friendship, you know, of like mm-hmm. BFFFFs, best friends forever and ever, never, never. She has this moment where she's really like angry and resentful at June, but she's like, oh, you have like a perfect marriage. And, you know, she's like, and all these people who doesn't have a, you know, who have partners here, you know, who, and because she is doing this alone, essentially, you know, she decided to become a surrogate. She was attracted to the money. It's a large sum of money. And, you know, it's, you know, to be pregnant for nine months is a really ten. difficult thing to do. And Let's not cut them women short. Yeah, it's they ten. lie to you. It's ten. <laughs> it's 40 weeks, people. That's ten. Ten months. <laughs> and uh, she doesn't currently have a partner to go through this experience with. She does have June. And, and she knows at the end of it, you know, she will be, you know, giving um, the baby to adoption. You know, that's the whole agreement. And so she's just having this really, like, moment. Like, I think this theme of this episode for Moira is about this, like, loneliness. Mm-hmm. And she's trying to stay, like, removed from the child. Yeah. Which is definitely. smart. Yeah. But it's like a, me- a coping mechanism. Yeah. And I just love that June's retort was, like, you know, the realities of marriage. Like, you are with the same person every single day, even though they don't understand how to load the fucking dishwasher. <laughs> and I was like, yes, I identify with you. You know why? <laughs> because he's an infant. <laughs> And so I'm sure, you know, people who, you know, have significant others out there who have lived with their significant others for quite a long time can, you know, had a lot of identifying with that scene. And so it sort of breaks that tension there and kind of brings her back to reality. It's just like perfect marriage. Are you fucking kidding me? Like, how dare you? Uh, How dare you? Um... Yeah, and um, so we get to this interesting scene with Serena and Nick. And I was like, oh, what's going on? <laughs> and Serena asks, have you, Nick, submitted warrants to the Counselor of Divine Law? And he's like, yeah. And she goes, would you walk me through the process? And I was like, oh, here we go. Here <laughs> is some maneuvering. Oh, you can always count on Serena oh, for some maneuvering. I'm so excited. can always count on Serena for some maneuvering. We go back to um, Moira, um, and baby Gavin, cutest, cutest, cutest little baby, um, given to, you know, their adoptive parents um, named the Watsons. They're from uh, London, England. Mm-hmm. And she says this line, you know, she was like, it's weird to be alone. And then we, you know, skip forward a little bit, you know, after that whole experience, her doctor throughout the surrogacy was Odette. So 
Moira runs into Dr. Odette um, buying wine, and they're sort of uh, flirting. And this is when it switches back to present day, and she's looking through this Book of the Dead situation, and she finds Odette's picture. So she really, really hits her that, like, oh, you know, this Odette is gone. You know, Odette is dead. Uh, that's what I thought mm-hmm. until, you know, we were discussing earlier about whether Odette was a handmaid and died in that bombing. Well, here's the thing, because remember right before that, when Ms. Tapping came out, she was talking about, oh, and here, here's the, the joke that I was going to throw in there, um, that they could confirm that there had been a bombing in Gilead. And but me over here, bad, bad child with Baptist family. <laughs> um, I start laughing my ass off at 1.30 in the morning because all I could think of was there's this really old hymn called There is a Balm in Gilead. And all I could think was there is a bomb in Gilead. <laughs> anyway, point being, too soon. Um, but what she said was they, um, there had, there, they could confirm that there had been a bombing and that they hadn't released... They they hadn't they, they they hadn't confirmed all the names mm-hmm. yet. They you know they did they had confirmed how many people had died, but they couldn't confirm. Yeah. You know, all Whom the names exactly, yeah. all the names yet, and so Moira ran up to her and she went to like shut her down. Basically, mm-hmm. she was no no no. I need to look for somebody else this time. I need to look for my girlfriend, my fiance. Mm-hmm. Um, they she got rounded up in the in the right before the war, so. That was why, towards the end, my assumption was that the books that they brought over, the ones that she was looking mm-hmm. at, those specific ones, were ones from the bombing. Mm. So we had all we have all the people, but they're not all identified yet, type thing. Interesting. But she still, she, I don't know, it still didn't feel right to me because she wasn't wearing handmaid's clothing yeah. in that picture. It just or maybe off. she was not, I don't know. I don't know either. I am unclear. Kay is convinced but I am unclear. And I am well, unclear. We, 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 we should take a poll. We will. Um, That'd be fun. We can have a, a, a listener's poll. Yeah. How many people know what you think, think that, the, uh, that the writers got sloppy and just reused <laughs> Maybe. the name? I doubt that they got sloppy. <laughs> um, oh, shoot. You know, now they're watching it at home going, oh, shoot. Yeah. That's a plot that, hole, boy, right? That that's a plot hole. That didn't, that didn't <laughs> that work. A... How, did we, how did we manage to do that right before she put the picture down? Now everybody's going to be confused. But, you know, <clears throat> I, am, I am with you and that, like... These these writers and directors and showrunners, you know, they don't let things slide much. Like, I really can't think of any other instance that was no. really, like, a major plot hole, plot hole no. like that. Like, mm-hmm. uh, so first, they're usually so careful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I will dig into that this we week. Will, we will dig and we will see. I just, I thought that they were so adorable. Moira and... and and oh my god what a great pair their chemistry their chemistry was so cute they were very cute although i don't know that i would want to date somebody who had had their hand all up in my hoo-ha but maybe i you know what i don't know how i feel i don't know well i mean i mean she's real cute she is real real cute that might push it over the line there if you're in a sexual relationship with someone i mean your hand is all up in the hoo-ha anyway Okay. She is right. And you know okay. what? As an OB, she would know the anatomy better than anyone else. Hey, 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 hey. Oh, that is very true. <laughs> These are we pluses. Are I don't know what you're talking about, Kay. These are all pluses. 
All right, so okay. the last quarter of this episode is like, I think, some of the best exposition I've ever had in my whole life. So excited. So um, Commander Cushing arrives again at the Waterford's house, and you see like Alfred in like the second story just like glaring <laughs> smug daggers at this dude. And then Serena's just casually standing in the doorway. And Nick's also just like casually paused on the stairs like, oh, are you coming inside? Um, and then uh, the vans with the eyes pull up. Up and um, you know, by order of Commander Waterford, you know you are arrested for your crimes. You know against Waterford, Gilead. who's still in the hospital. Treason by the way. and apost- Treason. apostasy. And um, evidence submitted by the eyes is overwhelming. Which and, is amazing uh, to me. Yeah, I and then I wrote June, Serena, Nick, very satisfied with themselves. <laughs> <laughs> Just, Feeling very smug about their actions here, which I agree because they really, they they knew they had to take care of this very dangerous person. And they did. And they did. They, I don't know how they managed it. The but trio. You know, Do it's... not question the trio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, between, really, between Serena like Serena his, and Nick. Serena forged his signature. Hey, man, Hells, hey. Yeah, she hey, did. Hey, man, hey. You got to do what you, wife's got to do what your wife's got to do. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And I think up. most most wives can forge their husband's signatures and vice versa. <laughs> to this I don't know about it's vice versa. Have you seen some of the men's writing? Good point. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably just the wives' version. <laughs> <laughs> signature. The handmaids are sort of in this market. It's like a different market because it's not like the same gro- big ass grocery store that they're used to being in. It's like smaller and like more rustic. Um, anyway, I just observed that. Yeah, and like Emily, a market yeah, exactly. And like Emily and June are back, and was like, yeah. And uh, Janine, you know, Abigail <laughs> mentioned it earlier. Like, you know, this is God's plan. He saved us, you know. And even time. and even Emily. Well, he might have different plans, but regardless. <laughs> And they, she starts this interesting thing, which I would just, God, this show always, the writing in this show always comes up with moments for me. And I'm like, that is so clever. That is so <laughs> clever. I didn't see that coming. That is mm-hmm. so clever. And it's so touching. And she starts this thing where she was like, my name is June. Yeah, I didn't see it turning into a wave. Yeah. And I didn't either. I just saw her originally saying it to Emily yeah. because she didn't get a chance to tell exactly. Emily what her name precisely, was precisely. before they scooped her up. Precisely, yes. Um, and it was just like this sort of reemergence of like they've been every time they sort of get split apart, they they find a way to get come back together. You know, I think the last time they had the the major thing that really fractured all of them was definitely post refusing to stone Janine. So they had that mm-hmm. immense torture session by Aunt Lydia. So that fractured them quite a bit. And then after that, I think they had all come together for. Um, little handmaid's party. Mm-hmm. There might have been a moment before then where they're they're starting to, but I mean, of Robert, you know, who seems to have all the information, like, you know, she still harbors, you know, ill sort of feelings towards um, Alfred for a lot of things that happened. But in this moment, you know, they're, they're really sort of like reemerging the sisterhood again. Mm-hmm. You know, that moment in, I think, end of episode, I forget what it is, but they're walking to Nina Simone's, what is the song? Feeling good. Feeling good, thank you. Walking down the street, like all powerful. Oh yeah, it was right after Janine Stoning. Mm-hmm. And and so they're they're reemerging the sisterhood back and by sharing their names and, and like I wrote here like the dignity slash the remembrance of your true name. Okay, you know, but your I true was identity. So surprised by some of those handmaids that were like, Oh, let me join this wave real quick. Cause you know, some of them are like, 
diehards. Like, even though they've been through hell, some of them are diehards. Like, nope, this is the best life I've ever had. I mean, so, like, how off Glenn number two used to be before her, her tongue was cut out. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. They've been no, through the I'm, gamut. I'm only, I'm only halfway yeah, I, joking. Am I yeah. wrong? But wasn't Eden in there? Nah, Eden, yeah. yeah. Eden yeah, was standing right there in, in the middle of it yeah, going. Yeah, so she just witnessed that whole damn thing. And isn't she a dangerous little girl that's just going to go she tell her? She doesn't know any better. Well, and, she should and know also, that they don't have real names. Well, here's the other thing, though. Um, I'm unclear that she could hear them because did you notice how they were turning to face yeah. each other that way their with wings their little wings their yeah. and saying their names? So she might be wondering what are they saying to each other, Maybe. but I don't know that she could have heard them. I just, I had a lot of feels in this scene. I thought it was yeah. a very touching, sweet scene. And, it just um, took me back that Eden was right there the whole time. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I just, I just really loved that. I was like, yes, the sisterhood is back. They're back, y'all. Okay, um, and then so we get to the press conference, which is, you know, she's reading the names. And the one name we, we didn't get before, but we do get in this scene, is Lily Fuller, who yes. was Ofgland, who did the bombing. Ofgland number two. And uh, Moira does her remembrance slash closure of Odette with putting her picture there in sort of this square that has, you know, a lot of memorials. And, you know, Kay mentioned that Odette Johnson is named as she's putting the picture down, so it could be her Odette. That was also part of being killed in the bombing and yeah i just you know reiterate this like really realness of this uh presentness of when people um die and when people go through loss you know it's and i mean it's also a testament to the the incredible performances of, mm-hmm. of the actors in this show but i just thought that that was touching that that you know that had sort of come full circle so to speak and so we really get to like what the climax of this episode, like this, a lot of the chunk of the episode, I'm like, where is this going? Right. Because there's a lot of dangerous things happening and this could go a lot of different ways, which yeah. I think is great writing and also good direction by, um, by Carrie Skolan here about sort of keeping us on our toes throughout this episode. And um, Serena brings Alfred into Fred's office. And so Alfred is like, what's going on? And Serena says, you know, um, there's there's drafts of new security orders. And mm-hmm. she goes, from the commander? And Serena just goes, we're going to scale down the Guardian. Like, she just glosses <laughs> over it. We're going to scale down the Guardian presence. And I think Kay mentioned earlier, you know, like, mm-hmm. we got to rein in, like, this 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 thing that's happening in our streets like people mm-hmm. hanging and being shot it's like it's really like the the tone shift in the neighborhood has a really have yeah. i think everybody on edge right. definitely again very allegorical to the things that happen in our present neighborhoods when these things happen to mm-hmm. right. you know people of color um uh being shot for no reason mm-hmm. and she enlists june's help to copy read slash proofread these documents mm-hmm. you should be an editor right uh how do i answer this question yeah it was a lot of june being like wait is this a trick question (laughs) yeah she's sort of feeling (laughs) she's sort of feeling out what's really happening here and she goes well i'll need a pen and you can just see the smile on serena's face and she was like yeah you do need a pen (laughs) and um and and this this moment of Serena being behind the desk and in charge, I, I immediately draw the parallel to if you watch the show House of Cards with Claire Underwood mm-hmm. yes. um, by the actor Robin Wright, who's very fabulous in it. And she has that sort of vibe. Mm-hmm. You know, she's always working behind the scenes to like 
to, to, to manipulate and to scheme and sort of oh, fix things in her own analogy. way. Yeah, I, I just totally got... Yeah. I just totally got that vibe. And I just, you know, the very last um, moment of the entire episode where she just clicks that pen, oh. I thought was so satisfying. Mm. And, you know, I'm, you know, when I, you know, go through the show and I'm writing notes and I'm holding a pen in my hand and I'm like, yeah, like to not, <laughs> you know, be able to read, to not mm-hmm. write, to, to these little things that we take for granted, you know, a pen, it you know. Well, and there was this, this, lovely moment i wonder whether elizabeth moss did it herself or whether she was directed to where she she had difficulty picking the pens up and she was like no i don't think it was difficulty well i know she was sort of feeling them but then she picked it up and it was like wait what do i do with this like she was still a little like tentative Mm -hmm. yeah i get that tentativeness i I saw that i saw that moment differently it was like she was trying to make a choice and she didn't know which one she wanted because they were different Mm, colors right Mm. and then she eventually went for one i think it was red Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. i mean copy editor she's a copy editor that's exactly what she would want perfect for a copy editor so then she picks up the red and then she looks she She's just holding it and scanning it over like, oh my God, I'm touching a pen again. Right. That's mm-hmm. what I meant. Is that sort of like, what do I, I, I God, I, I haven't had one of these in my hand in like three years. What the heck? Um, but yeah, the, the click was great. And I, um, what was I thinking that they might play? Because they ended up with Venus and I was a little bit disappointed because I thought, <laughs> no, seriously, because I, I had an idea in my head of what I thought. Um, There's a bomb in Gilead? No. <laughs> that was not what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> Although that would have been cute. No, it was... Um, you missed an opportunity there, right? <laughs> yeah, it'll, it'll come to me. Um, but I just remember watching and going, oh, okay, Venus is okay too. But that was not what I was what I was thinking it was going to be, but anyway. Yeah, I just, oh man, these turn of events, I'm like, yes, the women are in charge again. And you know, Mm -hmm. this this really suits Serena. This is where she excels. Now I remember. Oh, what is it? Who run the world, girls. (laughs) Can you imagine how much they would have had to be Beyonce, though? (laughs) I'm sorry, but I think our outro music is going to be, I mean, well, I don't have rights to that, so maybe not. maybe not. Uh, sorry, Beyonce, but uh, yeah. you're expensive. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, this this turn of events has me very pleased. Even though, you know, Serena is a very complicated character. You know, she has a lot of pitfalls and a lot of running it, and that makes us happy. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's back in charge. She's back in charge. Oh, it suits her. This is really where she excels. This is sort of her 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 sweet spot is doing these legislative things. And the fact that Fred is out of the picture at first, it was dangerous, but then they they handled that situation. Yes, they did. And and really, it was Serena because I mean, if Serena hadn't really come up with the idea, she the knew trio. she knew enough that she was like this this could work and so nick helped her do it and then obviously um june is sort of like the moral support and also like the like ears to the ground like she knows a lot more info than serena does sometimes right. because she's closer to people that you know serena would never ever talk to obviously so it's the trio that make it work it, this mm-hmm. is going to be a very interesting trio going forward to see what uh yeah i dig this and trio. and, and um where does Rita fit into this, if at all? I thought and Rita was killed. I thought she was the one that was killed. No, no. honey. It was someone else? Mm-hmm. Oh, my bad. 
Um, it was some next door neighbor because she wouldn't have said that poor Martha. She would have said Rita. Yeah. And uh, um, in the scene with Nick, she says, you know, I told Eden and Rita to go pay a visit to their households. Right. Well, you're right. She killed. does say Rita. Goodness, I'm sorry. I mean, I think all of us would have been much. I would have been like, oh, that yeah. is like the bitch of the episode that Rita got killed. I is. was confused by that moment. So that's No, fair. but when the Rita first got shot, I was like, oh, fuck, is that Rita? That's really what okay. I was like. Okay, and I never that. got I clarification know. after that, which is why I wasn't sure. Gotcha. And that certainly probably would have been her first mm-hmm. thought. Oh, and we learned what Martha's are supposed to say when they leave the room. Oh, what are they supposed to say? In grace, I go. Oh, oh yeah. God. Awful. That's um, gross. I didn't realize that's <laughs> what they had to say or what they're supposed to say. Yeah, that's that's apparently their their huh. thing. I was uh, looking up some more examples because you know the the parallel I had made was Claire Underwood on um, House of Cards. It's but if you perfect. haven't um, if you haven't seen that show, um, I recommend you check it out. But you know uh, when uh, Woodrow in history, this is uh, also a common occur. Uh, maybe not common, but the, in history, this has also occurred that you know when a husband or ruler is um, indisposed in some way, you know the the wife slash you know you know person who was their partner is you know sort of takes over and um, george the third george the third um one that i was uh, looking into reading up a lot about before, after this episode was uh when windrow wilson had a stroke in 1919 mm-hmm. it left him partly paralyzed and um his wife edith wilson really sort of became like the gatekeeper you know she read Ooh. everything that came through his desk and mm-hmm. really decided on what are the things that needed to be worked on? So she worked, you know, in partnership with him, but she is often, you know, lauded by a lot of people as sort of like the first uh, woman president of the huh. United States in There's that regard. There's some question as to whether she signed things for him Ooh. because... Um, yeah. I mean, he was, it did leave him partly paralyzed. You know, he was very ill in his later years, especially after the stroke, so... Um, you can read up more about that. There's lots and um, huh. lots of materials out there about Edith Wilson, um, and then just like really ancient examples too. Um, Borta Ujin is um, actually the wife of Genghis Khan. Ah, yes. And so Genghis obviously was out conquering, trying to conquer the entire world. <laughs> and so uh, while he was out conquering the world, um, she actually ruled the empire. So mm-hmm. that's a looser example, but you know, there's definitely precedence for for this sort of type of situation happening and it's really interesting that this is the approach and of course i'm like oh that makes so much sense of course Serena would do this. <laughs> mm-hmm. of course of course like not course. even surprised no, of course. Not, not and i do think that it's surprising that she did enlist the help of june and she's giving a, a lot of care and trust but mm-hmm. i do believe that everything that they've been through and because she knows june is capable of really hanging on to mm-hmm. the ideals of the old world pre-Gilead mm-hmm. women reading and writing she knows oh, yeah. she knows June is not a pious person mm-hmm. so that makes it perfect for her to to have June sort of as a partner in this because she knows June is not going to betray the household June has a lot at stake here also oh yes to get Commander Cushing off her off the household's back off her back and also you know to try to get her way she I think she's definitely going to use a lot of this to her advantage as well so we'll see how this ends up playing out. I'm, I'm so kind of excited to, to know like what this trio is going to come up with next in yes. the preview for our next episode. So spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, um, there is some mention about like baby Angela is sick. And then I think Fred is back for some measure. 
and uh, lots of interesting things. So mm. we are going to uh, wrap up and um, thank you so much for listening. Glad to have the whole gang back together these last couple weeks. Um, mm-hmm. Reach out to us if you have any questions, comments, concerns, what you think about the things we debated, the things that we were not clear on yeah. or <laughs> yes, arguing so amongst ourselves read about. Listeners poll on, <laughs> on, on how Odette died. I'm, I'm really... I'm I'm very intrigued by that. I'm so so I'm all for that. Guys. I'm all for that. <laughs> so uh, thank you so much for listening. We will see you next week for episode eight. Bye. 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 Thanks so much for listening to The Handmaid's Podcast. My name is Donna Bali. I am your host and producer. Reach out to us if you have any feedback from anything you listen to in this week's episode. Our email is thehandmaidspodcast at gmail.com or reach out to us on Facebook at The Handmaid's Podcast. If you are loving what you're listening to, please consider writing us a review on iTunes. It helps us bump up in the ratings and helps those who love The Handmaid's Tale as much as we all do find our podcast. If you have a spare dollar or three, you can find us on coffee.com to make a donation to our podcast. That's ko-fi.com slash the handmaid's podcast. We record in the beautiful Look On Media Studios in downtown Baltimore, Maryland. Our logo is designed by Jelko Strakal, and our music this week is by Mahalia Jackson. I sing sick so if you cannot preach like Peter. If you cannot breathe like Paul, oh, you can tell the love of Jesus.
Like I can't. 